Welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Tim Malloy, and today I'm talking with Rasul Berry, host and executive producer of the new documentary Juneteenth, Faith and Freedom. It's an astonishing film about the legacy of American slavery and how Christianity was sometimes misused to justify it, and how white Americans, long after emancipation, kept trying to keep slavery-like conditions in place. I saw this film at the Heartland International Film Festival and was in awe of its heart and its humor, especially considering the subject matter, and how flat-out hopeful and inspirational a film it is. And while I recommend seeing it on a big screen with lots of people, you can also just watch it now on YouTube for free by searching its title, which is again, Juneteenth, Faith and Freedom. This is one of those cases where the filmmakers obviously care much more about getting the message out than they do about money. And now, here's our guest, Rasul Berry. Rasul Berry, it's such an honor to get to talk with you. We got to see your amazing film, Juneteenth, Faith and Freedom, at the Heartland International Film Festival this past weekend. And we're really blown away by it. I thought I knew what Juneteenth was. I found out that I was fundamentally wrong about a very basic thing, um, which is what the Union Army came to Galveston to do on June 19th. 1865. Can you explain what people misunderstand and what the truth is about Juneteenth? Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, it was such a, a pleasure to be at Heartland. Shout out to Heartland Film Festival. They do an amazing job and uh, in just giving people an opportunity to see this film. And in particular, uh, Juneteenth is, I think, such a timely uh, film to, to see because uh, not only did it just become a national holiday, you know, really just last year, right? In terms of like, you know, and, you know, when it was signed, even though it was celebrated in Texas and in regional places before that, um, but then also because of the themes in the in the message uh, still resonate with a country that um, is still very much, you know, trying to figure out this race, racial issue and the history of it. And so, yes, the, and I, I went back and I wanted to learn this story first and then offer that story to others. And one of the fundamental things in the film that uh, there's this key moment where Sharon Gillins, who uh, is a genealogist and a historian in Galveston, and uh, she says the Union soldiers did not come to inform, they came to enforce. And, uh, and then in talking with another uh, historian who's actually written an entire book about Juneteenth myths, right? Like that's how many that there are, uh, offered proof that there were over 125 newspaper references to the Emancipation Proclamation in Texas, mostly mocking it. Because remember, they were in the Confederacy. They were in the rebellion. So in 1863, you know, they're like, yeah, right. Like we're really going to give up our slaves. And so... Uh, what ends up happening by the time uh, uh, June 19th, 1865 uh, arrives is that's when the Union forces are finally able to make their way uh, to Texas and to actually enforce uh, what was previously um, uh, enacted uh, two years and a half before, which was the Emancipation Proclamation. And so, yeah, that's a and I think that's an important history nugget because it shows the tentative nature of freedom in those times, like the fact that it took, you know, that level of enforcement. And we see that story play itself out through Reconstruction and all the way to 100 years later with the Civil Rights Act. And so that 
theme, which, you know, now we're talking about just 50, 60 years ago. And so, um, so yeah, that was a really important, um, you know, insight that we got to learn and that I got to learn. I think it's so wonderful that this movie is available on YouTube. People can click over to it right now because there's such a debate in this country about what our history actually is. One thing my wife and I talked about, you're, you're spawning a lot of discussion with the movie, obviously. And one thing we talked about just walking home from it is everybody in America says they want to move on. But one of the reasons we can't move on is that we don't agree on even what our history is. We don't agree on what happened. And some people want to minimize the horrors of slavery. Some people want to minimize the atrocities since slavery. And this movie just lays it all out very plainly and not in an antagonistic way, not in a gotcha way, but just these are the facts. Can we just operate from the same facts? Yes. History is fraught because oftentimes people can kind of want to see in the past a reflection of the good and not the bad, right? So even if we go into our own genealogies, right, we want to see the heroes, uh, not somebody who was a villain, so to speak. And of course, it's usually more more of a mix than that. But, but yeah, we just thought going to the original sources, going to uh, the those who were descendants of those who were emancipated really would give us the most accurate, clear perspective of what that day meant to them. And because really there's now two Ju Juneteenth kind of significances. There's what it meant to those in Texas and what it has meant the why they kept it going for that long. And then there's um, what, you know, what it means for the nation and how do we apply those lessons? So yeah, like I, we wanted to get the story right and get it from the perspective of those who this day has meant so much for so long, not just over the last year, but really passed down like a family heirloom for decades. Yeah. You even talked to the woman who's known as the grandmother of Juneteenth who helped get it passed just a couple of years ago. Yeah, no. Oh, uh, uh, that was one of the big, no, not one of, that was the moment where I knew that this film was now like a time capsule for history. Um, Miss Opal Lee, who was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize uh, just this past year of 2022, and who is nationally recognized as the person who was the major catalyst for drawing attention to this at the age, at the tender age of 89, she began to uh, walk, do walks around the country to galvanize people and to draw attention to the holiday. It was an amazing get. That was when I knew when we got Opal Lee, that's when I knew that we were making history because there's a woman who's nationally recognized when uh, the day, you know, the White House flew her up to D.C. to be part of the signing uh, you know, President Biden, you know, said, you know, we recognize you have been person that's helped br bring this to national attention. And so uh, to get her to be a part of the film um, and to uh, tell her story just means so much. I mean, you know, she was 89 years old when she started campaigning around the country, doing walks and marches and and speeches. And now she's 96. And to see what that meant to her to see that work come to fruition was really powerful and uh but then also it was really powerful to realize that her first earliest juneteenth memory was not a celebration it was actually you know like 
a aspect of mob violence that she had encountered as a child. How did you first decide to make this film? Because you put this together quickly. I mean, you started shooting in, I believe, March, and you were done by June of 2022? Yes. Um, the last week in March, in fact. We we start, The last day of shooting was April 2nd, and we put it out in June. <laughs> so... Um, and, and really it was a, it was a reflection of a real commitment, a, a real sense of calling that we had to help people know the story, understand the story and understand why this was something for us all to celebrate as Americans and really as citizens of the world, not just black people, not just people from Texas. And so there was really a, um, a real commitment that we all had. And when I say we, I don't just mean me. Fortunately, the media team of uh, our Daily Bread uh, media and ministries uh, put this together. So shout out to them uh, for, you know, kind of green lighting the project and being behind the production. And uh, and so, yeah, we all had this real commitment to help the nation um, be able to understand this and really create a new tradition when there's a holiday right we don't know what the traditions are going to be nationally you know like thanksgiving you bring out the turkey or christmas a tree or you know fireworks for fourth of july like, we don't know what juneteenth is going to hold for us as a nation and we're like man we want to offer you some things to help you understand how to commemorate this day and you have a very christian approach to the fight for freedom and the fight for equality and Sometimes people hear Christian and they immediately turn off because they think it means judgmental or something else. But something that this that this movie really gets into is that the black church that rises out of this is not a tool of oppression. Obviously, it's not a tool of the status quo. It's a tool of resistance and hope. Can you talk about just sort of reforming the Christian church from this perspective? Absolutely. And, and I think that's such an important point, because. You know, one of the things that in just wanting to get the story right uh, that we discovered was that you really couldn't tell the story well without acknowledging the institution of the black church, because the very first Juneteenth um, celebration, they went to Reedy Chapel in Galveston. And then when we heard about the community at Freedmanstown that was established in Houston, which was essentially became this almost like this place of all these refugees from all over Texas and really the country wanting to establish their lives. And then you realize it was established by Reverend Jack Yates, who uh, is, you know, also establishes uh, a church there, um, Antioch uh, Baptist Church. And so it was like, OK, what's up with this connection? And even uh, Opal Lee, right, when she started at 89, she talks about how her church encouraged her um, to, you know, go on this journey and make this um you know, this known. And so what we discovered was that there was really um, very uh, two competing notions. And, and uh, you know, one of the pastors that we spoke to, Michael Waters, who's an activist, uh, civil rights activist in Dallas, he talks about the, the, the reality that many people have used the Bible to justify all sorts of oppression against various people groups, marginalized people groups. But that is why it's important to understand what the Bible is actually saying and that they, that that distortion is is actually not the, the full meaning. And in fact, what we see in the story 
of the emergence of the black church and the civil rights struggle. There's no coincidence that, you know, you have Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., a pastor who's leading this charge is that they're very much, they saw a different story. And the story that they saw was that th this sense of liberation, the sense of freedom uh, was very core and essential to uh, idea of Christian expression and not just for Christians, but for all people that that was, you know, the idea behind what motivated and inspired their faith. And so we thought it was just important to tell that story. We think that especially, you know, uh, nowadays you still see the same thing and people using or misusing, you know, faith uh, or, or, or religious language to be a source of oppression for marginalized people. And we want to show, no, that's not, you know, what these people saw in the text. And in fact, there were some very uh, distortion, distorted things people had to do in order to justify what it was that they were doing in the name of, of Christianity. And so, you know, that was just a story that we found. And so we just wanted to be faithful to telling it. Um, it's also a story that's really significant to me personally, as somebody that didn't grow up in a Christian background, but then later on, you know, began to identify as a follower of Jesus and looking at the teachings of Jesus and being like, wow, there's a big contrast between what I see here and what I see kind of elevated in media as kind of like church culture. Yeah, you can't read the actual you can't read the actual words of Jesus in the Bible and come away thinking, oh, this guy <laughs> is really standing by the politicians and no. telling everybody to follow the laws and whatever. This he is a complete, just to use the modern terms, a complete disruptor of that yes. system and is absolutely on the side of those who have no one supporting them. And it, it reminded me of the way that civil rights leaders would basically ask white Americans to uphold the principles of the constitution that they wrote. Like, why don't you just, you know, do what it says in this guidebook for your country? Why don't you give the same rights to everyone that you give to rich white landowning males? I, I love the way that you brought it all together. So, so elegantly in this movie. And it's something that I've honestly never thought about. Mm. Well, thanks. And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was really a privilege of the team we work with uh, director Yaki Smith Um He's a film professor at the University of Texas, Austin, and an independent filmmaker himself uh, who really uh, and you really get to see his his fingerprints because it's this combination where he's a narrative filmmaker um, doing a documentary. And so he adds all of these rich components that you're not used to seeing, right? So we start with the poet on the shores of Galveston with this very artistic expression. And we use a lot of music um, and even did a soundtrack. Um, that we, because we were getting so much music for the film um, that we ended up using. And so, you know, his eye, his his commitment uh, to it. And as a native Texan himself, who grew up celebrating Juneteenth, this was like a labor of love for him. And so it was really, uh, it was really a treat to work with him and to see his vision kind of play itself out. So when Texas and Florida are actually very carefully enforcing laws and rules around what can be taught to children. And some of it seems to be, in my opinion, propaganda. And some of it seems to be an attempt to, a supposed attempt to shield white children from learning things that might hurt their feelings. Yeah. Which is ludicrous because that's not what <laughs> education is. It isn't spilling your feelings. How do you get a message like this out? I mean, is that, is that a greater barrier to just telling a simple truthful story about what's happened in our country? 
you know, like as we talked about the the fraught nature of history earlier, that you know today that's never been more true. Um, you have uh, DJ Cox, the uh, historian who wrote literally wrote the book about myths about Juneteenth. He actually mentioned about how it's still today taught that in Texas that um, slave owners found out about the Emancipation Proclamation when uh, General Gordon Granger and uh, a black unit uh, of, of troops arrived with them. Well, and it's just not true. And I think it goes back to this idea of um, really some people struggle with the the, the 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 true history of our country and what that means and and what we, we want to try to demonstrate in the film and i think what we did a, a job of saying is that hey there's there's a lot here to both grieve and 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 there's a lot to celebrate and it's a mixture of the two and so um an accurate telling of history that gives us an opportunity to go back to the original sources to go back to the original um you know, people who felt those places, uh, felt those things and 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 really have held on to those traditions, we think is a really helpful way to kind of cut through some of the noise of, you know, attempts to um, somewhat curate or revise history to make it more palatable. And uh, and so we think that this film, you know, is, it does a good job of that. And that also means, you know, um, leaning into things that, you know, some people don't normally think about, like the church and the black church and its role in in, in American history, you know, right? And, um, or, you know, the role that, you know, black people had in helping build. There's a key moment, Lawrence Thomas, um, this was a very pivotal moment. He's one of the first people we talked to. And he is, his ancestors were enslaved by the the founder of Galveston right? <laughs> the city. So like the, the, the mansion is still there where his ancestors, his great, great grandfather. So we're only talking two greats, you know, worked. And so what does that mean for him? Like that, you know, to, to kind of talk about that and to, to identify. And I remember thinking to myself and asking him, why would you still be here? Like, there's a part of me in my mind that would go to be this close to that level of suffering, with my family, knowing that this is where that suffering occurred, I probably would want to get someplace else. But for him, he said something so profound. He said, we built this city, <laughs> like literally, like we built this mansion, we yeah. built. So so I'm not going anywhere because this is as much a part of the legacy of my ancestors as it is, you know, his ancestors, you know. And so I thought that that was also a, a very um profound moment, but it was also wrought with or fraught with uh, tension because not everybody in Galveston was happy that we were there telling that story. You know, this is a documentary where sometimes you watch a documentary where you know that the, the interviewer is kind of pretending to be curious because they actually know the answer that's coming. <laughs> and it's cute. But in this one, there were moments when I think you were actually surprised by what you're hearing because you're really listening and engaging. Are there some examples of moments that just struck you where you went? Yes, uh, definitely. Um, when I was talking to Pastor Michael Waters, and you can kind of see the surprise. So I go to his house and I'm, and I'm not expecting that he's going to have a whole almost museum worth of artifacts all laid out, you know, and then kind of going one by one, explaining the experience of enslavement from the coast of Africa 
all the way to the slave block to, you know what I mean, what comes next with, you know, lynching after um, emancipation and with during, you know, just the racial terrorism and violence. And so there's a moment where he hands me this image of a black man hanging from a tree. And and I'm just thinking of some picture that is a, you know, and he's explaining about lynching. And then he's like, so yeah, and this postcard was sent all around. And I said, wait, a what? And then he says, this is a postcard. And he turns it over and you see it has all the, you know, postcard, the place where you put your address. And, and I'm sitting there like, wait, you mean to tell me people were sending these images as like greeting cards is like image like and they were mass produced like just imagine hallmark or some some other card manufacturer like something that there was somebody out there not them but somebody creating this to 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 just say hey this is how you can show love and greet you know loved ones all over the world and and that was that was like that blew me my mind that that was i mean just to try to understand that level of 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 just violence and, and hate. Um, there was another moment where uh, Dr. Carrie Lattimore uh, explained, uh, and he was such a great historian of painting the picture. And uh, we actually lost him after uh, in July. Um, he passed suddenly. Um, and so again, it just kind of reminded me of the importance of preserving history because you just never know. But he talked about the importance of the black troops. I didn't know that Gordon Granger, that the, the troops that came, that 4,000 of them were African-American. And so he talked about the, the immediate resonance that that had for these formerly enslaved people. And so, you know, those were the nuggets that um, it was just, it was hitting me as in real time, you know, and it was really uh, powerful to be a part of. Yeah, the the numbers you give, I believe it was 6,000 total troops and 4,000 of them were black men who people had maybe never even seen in uniform or in a position of authority. And what a powerful moment that must have been. And yeah, the the postcard was also absolutely stunning. And it's one of many things in the movie that just remind us that, you know, in the U.S. people say, oh, well, this was 150 years ago. But the struggle didn't end with the Emancipation Proclamation or Juneteenth. I mean, then you have Reconstruction. You have the rise of the Klan immediately after Juneteenth and not coincidentally immediately after Juneteenth. And then you have things like the postcard, just the normalcy of this kind of hatred. And you get into redlining, you get into people who left Galveston and went to Houston in search of, I think it's called Freedom Town. Yep. And then they run a highway through Freedom Town like two decades ago. Yeah. I mean, the this just the number of things that are piled on and that you lay out so cleanly throughout the movie. There's so much history to get across and you get so much history into an hour and a half. And it's obviously not all the history, but to get as much as you did into this film, I think it's just remarkable. Yes, thank you. And and yeah, it was really, you know, as we were kept pulling on the thread, we didn't set out to, I thought we were just gonna be in Galveston and we were just gonna go there. But then when we found out about Freedmanstown and 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 in Houston, and that was just one of several Freedman's Town. There was another Freedman's Town, and and didn't, and so a lot of them in, uh, started to kind of call themselves by that name. Um, but then to see the story continue to uh, unfold, all the way to Miss Opal Lee, the grandmother of Juneteenth, talking about how on Juneteenth, the you know white community in the neighborhood that her parents had bought a home in, 
essentially had a mob, assembled a mob around them. And the police who were present was not there to protect them, but was there to warn them, hey, it's time for you guys to get out of here. And so a lot of and that's why we talk about the timeliness of understanding that for freedom to fully be realized, it takes all of us as citizens to engage with that process. And Ms. Opal's you know, famous line is that none of us are free until all of us are free, right? And so that is something that we wanted to kind of convey and to bring to the forefront and to even inspire people to say, yeah, we have an ugly past, but look at how people overcame that past by making courageous decisions and choices and um, looking out for other people other than themselves. And that that's the same model that we can have in this current time period, wherever we see um, that same type of uh, injustice occurring. Yeah, this just gave me so much to think about. I mean, talking to you now and also watching the film. And one of the things I keep thinking about is you hear a lot of white people say, and I've wrestled with this myself, like, well, what's my obligation for things that my ancestors did in the past? Like, what am I supposed to do? And what I've come away with from this, and I'm not saying this is the answer, but my personal thought process now is my obligation is to learn from it and to be accountable for what I do now. The real, the real danger is to not seek out information like this and not do something about it and try to make a better, it sounds corny to say make a better world going, going forward, but to take a stand wherever you can for the sake of freedom, wherever that fight is at that moment. No, absolutely. I, and, and I think that is, you know, a lesson that just one of the stories, and this was just to me, and again, this was one of those times where you see my reaction when I talked to, uh, you know, uh, the two Jacquelines, um, you know, actually the uh, great, the great granddaughter of Jack Yates and, and her daughter. Uh, we spoke to who's a lawyer now, civil rights inspired by her mom, who continued to keep that legacy going. And one of the things that they said about Jack Yates was that um, when they set out to build the church, they needed someplace else to go. And that there was a local white congregation that allowed his congregation to fellowship, to worship, to do what they needed to do there and help them to build the church and the current, uh, you know, pastor there kind of references this as a, like, he's literally lo looking out and showing me this beautiful or an ornate sanctuary that he says was possible because of the type of racial unity that these two groups of people decided to, in spite of the culture around them to, to work toward. And, um, and then even Jack Yates himself, I mean, you, uh, I want to do a movie on him because this guy leaves, you know, being freed, like when Emancipation Proclamation happens, his enslaver frees him, but his wife's enslaver, they were owned by two different people, didn't. And they went to Texas and he, he put himself back into slavery to be with his wife and kids. Right. And those not know he might think about that. Like, as far as he knows, that's going to be reality for the rest of his life. And yet and still several years later, Juneteenth arrives and now he builds this community, he builds this church and he does so with the solidarity and the um, allyship of, you know, even white people in, in, in Houston. And so 
we think that's an important way to show we can still use our resources. We can be sacrificial. We can look for opportunities to say, okay, you know, how can I use my influence in my little corner of the world to just give a voice to somebody who's trying to do something positive, but they just need a little bit of a boost. And how can I use my influence to give that boost? And so I think Jack Yates himself is a, is a great example of that. Yeah. And what you said about getting the message out, I feel like sometimes once you get like a studio involved or, um, you know, some large media organization, sometimes you get like a more maybe watered down message. I like that you did this all independently and that you put this out directly on YouTube to get it right to the people without any kind of, you know, oh, did we sign off on this? Did we, da, 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 da. no gatekeepers. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that's and that's in the response and the reaction that we received, uh, people using it in schools and colleges, universities as an education tool um, in their churches. Um, just I had pictures of people on Juneteenth just showing just in their family situation. Like they were like, I just want to you know, this is what we now we know what we want. We, we can do. We can watch this film and um, listen to the music and 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 just have a conversation about what we just saw. And that is something that whether you're white, black, Asian, Latino, Hispanic, like everybody indigenous can do to take us a step forward and just honoring the stories that we have to hear from today. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we've gone over time, so I'm sorry. That's okay. But is there anything else? Do you want to say uh, no, I, I I would just say, um, you know, we, you know, just thank you again for for checking us out. You can go to Juneteenth.experiencevoices.org to see the other resources that we have. I've mentioned the album, the soundtrack, first Juneteenth soundtrack that I've ever heard of or seen. So that's groundbreaking, um, as well as other tools that we have to kind of help people uh think about this day and and to celebrate it but um yeah thank you so much for having me and uh we're looking forward to continuing to keep the story going